Hi, I'm Tyler Yules. Welcome to How the Grades Do It. Welcome back to another episode of How the Grades Do It. You have your host, the one and only Tyler Yules. I know I'm here. I am excited for our guest today. We have Alex uh, Schofield. Didn't mess it up. Alex Schofield, head of sales development at Confluent. Alex, we appreciate you jumping on with us, man. Hey, thank you for having me, Tyler. I appreciate it. Most people do say Schofield, so I get the urge there. <laughs> well, man, tell us tell us what you're up to at, at Confluent, and, and that'll really just kick us off. Yeah, for sure. So like you mentioned, I'm head of sales development here at Confluent, specifically for our America's Enterprise Department. Uh, I started with the company two years ago, uh, managing our West and Central Geo SDR teams, recently moved into this new role. And really what we're focused on right now is how we can really accelerate quality conversations that turn into dollars more quickly than they have with the historical SDR function. So historically, you think about SDR as being really good at outbound prospecting, generating meetings, and we're really shifting our focus to not only how do we still do those two things well, but then how can we yeah. actually be a little bit more involved in the sales process to actually accelerate time to spend with our uh, with our customer base and prospect base? And, 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 you know, that's a little bit different than I think most SDR um, leaders out there, right? Like, why are you guys making somewhat of this transition? No, it's a, it's a good question, Tyler. And I think... When you look at the SDR function historically, you see a lot of really talented outbound prospectors, people who can really grind to get meetings. But what you understand is when you get a ton of different meetings, a ton of different opportunities, your burn rate kind of grows a little bit and your pipeline yeah. grows a little bit. And we can also see that those deal, see, whoa, deal cycles, excuse me can be a little bit longer because often when you're catching someone cold, what you're doing is catching someone maybe before there's urgency or maybe before they've identified their use case. So we have a longer sales cycle. And I think one of the sure. reasons why we want to kind of shift a little bit to keeping our team more involved in the opportunities is in a hope that we can actually accelerate deal cycles by landing smaller growing those customers and then once they're ready to be passed up to field reps make that transition then and then they can grow it to larger commits and larger deals so we're making this shift and because we know that the way that the market is buying they like to start small kind of pay for what they use and then once we have a better understanding of what that dollar spend month over month is going to look like then yeah. we can bring in to really better understand, okay, what does this larger deal look like in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? Like, I think you're seeing SDR organizations change um, a lot differently than what was happening three years ago with SDR work. Everyone was trying to build an SDR team. Um, and I think people are think, seeing, hey, like, this model doesn't fit everywhere. And so somewhat making those small tweaks. Yeah, and you're right. It doesn't work anywhere, everywhere. And um, I think for everybody who's on LinkedIn, there's all these thought leaders on LinkedIn who are discussing this specific topic, right? Like the future yeah. of SDR organization. I see these posts of people completely eliminating their SDR organization. 
I see these posts of people slashing it from 15 down to three, from 50 down to 10. And so there's a lot of conversation and debate going on right now around like, what does the future of sales development look like? And I do think it is an interesting conversation to be having, especially right now in this current environment as buyers are more hesitant to spend. And so inherently deal cycles and deal sizes are either accelerating in terms of the length or decreasing in value. So it's an interesting time to be having this because it is a moment where you can make an impactful change, where you can start realizing some results from this organization a little bit more quickly. Sure. You know, what are what are some of the things that you've had to like transition with a team, right? Because that's, a, I think it's a little bit of a shift, right? That at that point, you know, you mentioned they're going to be given a little bit more duties, like almost maybe as an inside sales team in that sense. Like, um, like I would, some people would say, Hey, like you may be giving an SDR a little bit more than they're ready for. I, I laugh because it's a conversation I've been having with a lot of people. Um, yeah. Internally and externally about and it's funny, you know, when I approach my business and I approach sales in general, I like to really simplify things to make it very digestible for not only myself, sure. but for the people that I coach and lead to be able to execute on. And one of the biggest things that, you know, I want to help my team as well as any SDR looking to get into a closing capacity would be, is switching your, your headspace from thinking about how you can land a qualified opportunity versus now you're focused on building relationships that are sustainable and long-term. And I go back to my first AE role, gosh, 10-ish years ago or so or something like that. And I remember I moved straight from outbound SDR to AE, holding the Mid-Atlantic Territory, And I went from just trying to book as many meetings through 175 cold calls, 200 emails, to all of a sudden I had a million dollar quota over my head and I'm trying to sell to Capital One or even to the government in some cases. And getting that headspace change is extremely challenging, I think. Um, And it only comes with experience. And I think having gone through that hurdle and having talked to a lot of different people internally and externally you come to understand that that's a really important part about making that transition. So I know you asked about what other things that we're expecting of them. I think you kind of have to start there with understanding, Hey, we're not talking about meetings, qualified opportunities. What we're talking about now is building sustainable use cases, building relationships that extend beyond a certain stage. However you name your stage one, stage two, stage three, Salesforce environment, and how you can actually maintain a project management mindset to get everything to the close. In terms of what, you know, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of organizations asking of their SDR function is, is kind of what you said, Tyler, you know, that more ISV inside sales motion, where there's still an aspect of prospecting, because of course, in order to have a pipeline, you need to build your pipeline. But mm-hmm. I think you're going to start a lot of people in a lot of organizations as well, maybe switching to like a freemium or pay-as-you-go pay model where the ISVs are focused on getting people into the product, spending a little bit upfront, maybe identifying one use case, validating it, identifying another use case, validating it, and growing that deal to a point 
where then it makes sense for the customer to explore larger commits where they can take advantage of different monetary discounts and things like that. Yeah. I mean, Hey, I, I think we're seeing that trend um, day in and day out. I think the only way that the only time that we're not seeing that right is, is maybe in that ABM model where an SDR is supporting maybe an, uh, an enterprise um, type of product or deal. Right. And I think that there's maybe a, still a use case there when supporting like a, a senior enterprise sales rep. What are your thoughts there? I think you, I think you have a good point there. Um, I don't, I don't agree with all the people on LinkedIn that say that like SDR is going away because I do, I say this all the time and I stole it from someone, so I'm not going to pretend I came up with it, but I really do yeah. believe it. I, I think the best AEs never stop being SDRs because you need to continue to build your pipeline and you cannot just rely on inbound or marketing or outbound SDR to fill your pipeline up. You still need to be self-sufficient. But with that said, in the enterprise space, when you're working a 200, 300, 400K renewal or you're working on a new land that's that large, that, of course, takes priority over prospecting because revenue, obviously, is one of the core pillars of any business. And so there still needs to be a layer of support uh, in the enterprise space, especially with SDRs. Um, What that's going to look like for a lot of organizations I think that's going to vary depending on people's opinions, but that's why I'm kind of still pretty bullish on the fact that like SDR is not going anywhere. It just, for each company, depending on like their model, their product, what that looks like, or their ICP, what that is all looking like for them, that kind of dictates what the SDR world is going to look like for them. Yeah. I I think you're spot on there, right? Like, so like keeping all things in mind, right? Like the SDR work, I would say is, is probably some of your hardest work, which is why we try to get them up and out um, as quickly as we can, right? Like teach them, teach them how to do it, get them good at it, at least get a return on investment from a pipeline perspective and then, and then move them up into some sort of inside sales or um, some sort of other role. Cause it's, it's a difficult kind of job. And so how do you, how, what have you found to like keep people motivated in that type of like, I would say like David Goggins type of environment, right? It's like you, yeah. you have to have that sort of mentality, right? To be a, your top SDRs have that mentality. It's so it it's one of the hardest things in the SDR world is to just keep motivation up. Because to your point, yeah. it's an absolute <laughs> grind. I'm sure you know this. I'm sure all your listeners have probably done a, a layer of SDR work in their career. It is a really challenging job, but when you get good at cutting your teeth in this sort of world, then you can really go and be a feeding system for the rest of the organization. And I really do believe that. Um, SDRs, once again, they, they understand sales skills, soft and hard skills. They also understand product messaging that's valuable to, you know, maybe the field marketers or to product marketing. Um, They put together sales plays and messaging if they want to go to an enablement. There's a variety of different paths that you can take. And I think when you're trying to motivate SDRs, it starts with, first off, building culture. I won't elaborate on that because everybody everybody talks about that. But I think the second thing is really understanding what the intrinsic values of, of SDRs are, especially because they're usually pretty young in their careers or their career switchers. Um, and 
a lot of people getting the SDR don't know what that next path is for them. They don't know if they want to go AE or if they want to go marketing. Yeah. And so as a manager and a leader, to continuing to motivate them, you need to understand their intrinsic values and intrinsically yeah. what's going to aspire, inspire them to be good so you can help them get to that next level. Now, of course, you need to drive things like your KPIs, quota, etc. But it's much easier to motivate someone to be successful when you know where they want to go and you can start internally placing conversations around that person so you can help them grow into whatever capacity they need to be in. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. Like, you know, that, that model of SDR is and why it's such a great one, at least for a feeder system for a company. And so, you know, it is really that, right? It's it's their first job out of college. It's it's a, someone that's just gotten into sales. It's somebody that um is is newer to the to the industry maybe, right? And and it's a way to cut their teeth, get the muscle they need to build. But not everybody's cut out for that sales motion. And I think they figured it out pretty quickly within the SDR role because right there is no other way to not figure it out um in an SDR sort of sense. But it gives you a great opportunity to move into customer success, move into marketing, and really have that front end um, experience with talking to customers and and really understand that value prop. No matter where you go in the organization, you're a great you're you add value. Yeah, no, I think people can definitely identify pretty quickly if they're cut out for that world. And I think, to your point, if they are cut out for the world, you can help them get to those different spots. You know, one of the things that I've always really appreciated about the SDR world is like the promotion world. Not to use world twice in the same sentence, but it's like kind of your oyster. Like we've had people on my team go to marketing. We've had people go yeah. to our technical team. We've had people go to AE. And so it's a lot of fun to work with those different personas. Something that really does interest me though, and it's a bit of a pivot about the state of SDR and just sales in general going forward is and of, of course, like AI is a huge hot topic right now. But I'm really curious to see how that impacts everything. I saw something on HubSpot and I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up. But it's at 81% of salespeople are now using AI to speed up their process. And so I'm curious. I believe, if, I believe that. Makes sense. Like, yeah. I think people like to find ways to expedite their process. And I'm curious how companies are going to be leveraging that going forward, especially when it impacts the SCR world, because there's tools coming out now with a bunch of different ABM platforms that are introducing email intelligence and email conversational platforms where they're able to send out emails at a mass scale to a database yeah. and actually respond and then based off of trigger criteria that a company sets up, then they loop in a salesperson. And that kind of scares me a little bit. Yeah. Which you is- know, I don't necessarily think like, I don't have a right answer. I have a thought, right. And I'd love to hear your, your perspective on it. Right. Because I think tools like that are great, right. Like they increase pro- productivity of, of everybody um, in the team. If used correctly. I think part of the problem is, and what I've found is salespeople are lazy. And so they'll use to the tools to the extreme, right? With Without the prep work and whatnot. And what happens is 
we get a lot of uh we as we as the as the icp or the seller right get overloaded we are now getting way more calls than we ever had way more emails than we ever had they are mass um bought out and to your point right they don't provide any value and so i think it's really difficult to do that in um in a space in which is so technology is getting better which is allowing salespeople to send more, but we're not increasing the personalization. And I think it's part of the problem, just period, right now. It's like, we're losing I, the idea of like how people are buying. We're not changing um, how we're selling. I mean, I agree. I definitely agree with that sentiment. You know, when you think about sales, at least in my opinion, it's a very personal communication that you're having with someone. And yeah. I think you are seeing a little bit of a shift on the on the AE and uh, seller side that you know you're seeing a lot more people be successful as a consultant and a relationship builder than as a salesperson almost. And the yeah. reason you know, the things that you just brought up, like for that email tool, for example, there could be a benefit to the organization as a supplement, right? You know, maybe you're hitting accounts that nobody's touching or you're inviting people to in-person events or to webinars. Like there is some value in having that layer of automation. But when you're using something like a mass dialer where you're calling a hundred people in a minute and then Tyler suddenly answers the phone and I have to pause for a second to wait for Tyler's name to pop up on my screen. So I even know who he is, what his title is and what company he's at. I'm not going to provide any value to you in that call. You're just going to get out of here, hang up. And those organizations that want to do that sort of volume, you're ruining it for the rest of us, kind of. You're trying to do it at a place of personalization or building perspective and having a legitimate reason for why we actually are trying to connect with you. And so when you're seeing these people just making hundreds of calls in five minutes and sending 500, 1,000 emails in yeah. a day, you're making it hard for the rest of us to do our jobs. Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely does, right? Like it, it makes it harder to cut through the noise. Are right? we seeing? I'm, I'm sure you've seen it as well, but like a decrease in open rates, a de- decrease in reply rates, a decrease in just connection rates. Period. From the phone perspective, right? And so when you have all these channels being overused, and maybe to the point where maybe misused and i'm not saying every company out there is doing it and i and i'm not i'm not ripping on the technologies either right because they're doing a great job at what they're supposed to be doing i think we as sales leader and we as salespeople, we just need to do a better job of making sure we're providing value through the entire part of the process so like to your point like i'd love to hear how you guys do that and um you know you mentioned relationship being so important especially now as we're transitioning away, like I'd love to hear how you're um, helping your team do exactly that, especially early on in the process. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we're thinking about early on in the process in the way that we're really trying to encourage our teams, we really heavily emphasize upfront research before doing any execution on outreach. Now I know, Speed to lead, speed to execution is, of course, important. You don't want to be spending a ton of time doing research. But if you don't build a point of view and a reason for why you're reaching out to a specific person, 
it doesn't matter how great your product is or how personalized your email is. Like if you can't provide value and a reason for reaching out, they're not going to respond anyways. So we really emphasize making sure first and foremost, like you're going through the CRM understanding. Yeah. Had any existing conversations? Do we have any use cases? Then we're, you know, of course, heading to you know, 10Ks using intelligence tools to help us understand their tech stack, looking at hierarchies, who reports to who. We really want to be the Robert Pattinson version of Batman, the detective, before we even reach out to people. That's really our goal. And then when yeah. we're thinking about actually the execution of it, you know, we ask our reps for just 40 dials a day which some people probably think that's so high, but coming from, you know, the 175 a day, I'm like, that's not that bad. Um, 40 is not bad. No, 40 is not bad. But if you're making 40 dials a day and you can cohort it, and maybe you verticalize your dials. So every company you're calling into, your point of view is around that, that vertical or you're going after a certain title persona and your talk track mm-hmm. can be personalized towards helping them or we're cohorting it towards just maybe an expansion play or something like that. Like we try to be as specific with that. So if somebody does answer, because, you know, you make 40 calls a day, you'll be lucky to get one. So if somebody does answer, your talk track is on point. You're not scrambling. So we're yeah. just asking for pretty pointed calls a day. And email is kind of supplementary in the background because to your point, response rates are so low now. Spam filters are so sophisticated. If we're even making it through, right? That's and if we can get opens, I'm almost more focused on open rates at this point than I would be on reply rates. Reason being, if somebody's at least engaging with your content, there's name and brand recognition. So when you go through yeah. your sales platform, like an outreach or a Groove or a Sales Loft or Gong's new thing, whatever, you can see everybody who's opened then you can be more specific. You can build that point of view again. So we're trying to work smarter more so than work harder at yeah. this point and trying to really start. And it's not groundbreaking, but in today's society where there's so much noise, if you don't know what you're talking about and you don't have a reason for calling them, they're not yeah. going to listen. And I think if I'm going back to email quickly, most people are opening emails based off of a subject line. Right. So then the content inside of it. And so you have to be really good with getting people to engage with your, your messaging. And that starts with your subject line. Um, Cause that's really, that's your beachfront property. That's the first thing yeah. anyone's going to see when they see your email, it's going to be in bold. You need to be super smart. So we want to be really cognizant with that. Uh, and hopefully we can provide enough value in the email for a reply, but we really focus on those open rates and then calling those people who are engaging with us. And like, how are you, like how often are you testing to say like, Hey, different open rates to make sure that um, you, you're, you're, you're challenging the status quo, right? Like we're, iter- we're iterating on our, our messaging all the time. You know, yeah. I encourage the, all my leaders and all the manager or uh, all the SDRs on my team, like, be creative and fail, just fail fast. It's okay sure. if you don't hit on XYZ strategy or ABC strategy, just don't be too married to it. Be willing to just accept that it didn't work and just either you know go back to the drawing board and use 
the more generic messaging that we've provided you as you flush out that next idea, or if you have that next idea, test it out. But since sales is such a numbers game and in the FCR world with lower reply rates, lower connect rates, you don't have the ability to really do one idea and stick to it for a month because then you could be a month behind quota if it's not working. So as you're testing things out, you need to still be doing, you know, what's proven to be successful, but we're constantly iterating things like just having call only sequences with them at the same time in a marketing drip and just looking at the, the opening marketing emails doing just LinkedIn automation, which I didn't even know was a thing until recently, but you do. Um, but doing, <laughs> uh, so we're trying, a, we're trying a bunch of different things. I don't have a specific number. Like we do X number of tests or X number of ABs yeah, yeah, yeah. because we're constantly trying to iterate and find out what's working. Yeah. Are there any, um, sort of like indicators or KPIs that you look for out on a regular basis where you're like, Hey, I may need to start adjusting something. So typically what I look for, if it comes to a sequence, I'm looking for 250 people to go through it. That's okay. the first thing. Before yeah. you start in, uh, before, before you get into the analyzation of the numbers. Yeah. I like to see 250 people go through it. I think that's a f- fair enough baseline to understand. Like we've had 250 people receive 12 steps of this cadence or this sequence sure. or flow. Let's start looking at the numbers. And so once we get there, I typically look for open rates between 27 to 30% to tell me that something's good. Maybe not great. If we can see reply rates, gosh, a 3% reply rate nowadays would be killer. But if we can get, you know, 2%, 2.5%, I'd be extremely pleased with that. Um, mm-hmm. And bounce back rate, I think, is something that's interesting to look at as well. Um you know, if anything's above a 2% bounce back rate, then whatever you've put in your messaging is triggering spam boxes, in my opinion. Um, so those are some of the things I look at. Um, and depending on what tool you use, I've used outreach and sales often in Groove, but I know, like, for instance, in outreach, you can look at email sentiment and call sentiment and understanding, okay, sure, you're getting 20 responses, but of those 20 responses, what percentage of those are no's or opt outs? Um, right. So it starts with that 250 through, and then I kind of take a look at those other numbers as I pace through. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, man, I'd love to transition the conversation a little bit and, and talk more about like, uh, as you transition from that SDR or from really like the IC role to, to manager, like, what was that mind shift like, you know, you know, I know where I remember when that happened for me, like it was a totally different world. I didn't think I was going to be good at it. Um, you know, and, and, and they don't necessarily give you, you know, I think they should, right. It's like first time manager, there needs to be a, a little bit of a training for it. And so I'd love to hear what that, what that was like for you and what you learned. It's a great question, man, because, um, you know, I've, I've been in management. I'll take a step back. I was in SDR for a year. Then, and I see AE most of the time for the next seven. And I've been in management for just, you know, three years now. So in the grand scheme of things, still, you know, newer in my in my leadership timeline. Yeah. And when you think about SDR leadership versus like ISV or 
AE leadership, SDR leadership, you're really focused on the KPIs. It's how many, how many calls you're making, how many meetings you're scheduling, how many meetings are being completed, how many opportunities yep. and how much pipeline. Uh, and that comes in the form of, you know, what's your conversion from call to connect, your connect to meeting scheduled conversion rate, your meeting conversion from scheduled to completed, completed to stage two, your average ACV. It's a very metrics and activity focused coaching when it comes to like, just if you're thinking about forecasting. And so as a leader, when you're you know forecasting, up to your manager, you're focused on those different things. And as I've shifted my headspace a little bit, I found that probably the first month, month and a half, we were still kind of focused on those as a leadership team. Because I mentioned this earlier, you still need to build your pipeline to have any pipeline to work. And then yeah. there's a very hard shift where you've built your pipeline and now you're talking about use cases. You're talking about, are you talking to your economic buyer? You're talking to your technical champion. Are we even high enough in this account yet? Can this person actually pull any weight to get this up the ladder? What, you know, what's the TCO on this deal? What pains are we solving? What's our timeline? What's our go live? What are your next steps? What happens yeah. if it falls out of your pipeline? What's your plan B? And it's a very hard pivot from for me personally you know what i was talking about for two and a half years to changing to you know talking about that and so it has been a lot of fun getting back into that headspace um yeah and really analyzing deals again but when you're thinking about you know that mindset shift you really have to stop thinking about some of those conversion metrics and really start thinking about, okay, how can I progress this relationship forward? Um, and what sort of questions do I need to be asking now? Instead of just asking questions to get somebody onto a meeting, what questions do I need to be asking to actually do proper discovery to get all the deal qualification criteria figured out? And so there is an adjustment there. Um, and it just takes a lot of practice, but it, it's a fun adjustment to make. Yeah, 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 for sure. I would, you know... You, you know, you hit on a little bit, right? But like, as an SDR, you don't necessarily get into a ton, ton of discovery. I always called it like peeling an orange, right? It's like, yeah. I want you to peel the orange back, see if it's good for the AE. And I want you to just close it back, put it back <laughs> together. I don't want you to take the skin all the way off, right? Because so much of that trust and, and the rapport and the consultative uh, part of the sale that happens in the discovery process. And if you take someone, an SDR goes a little bit too far and they cut into that and then the juice starts flowing, a lot of times it's hard to stop the juice. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the flip side of that, right, it is like the person doesn't want to do it again. The juice doesn't flow the same way the first time, right? Yeah. It's a good one. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I, li I like it, yeah. I like it much. Um, but you're right because, you know, our organization, we do a majority of the conversations, our SDR board books is through a cold call. And so sure. if you're going on a cold call, that's a minute and a half at best, if you're lucky. Um, so to your point, like transitioning to holding a full scale, 15, 20, 30 minute discovery call, it's it's a hard shift. Um, and it just takes yeah. a lot of practice. 
No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, we're seeing a, a trend where you know we have a buyer that's a lot more educated, and so even even when we're reaching out to somebody, maybe we're seeing intent data that somebody's going out in the market and um, acquiring software that we're trying to sell, right? And there we're reaching out, so we have a buyer that's done some research, is informed, and they don't overly want to be sold, right? And so you know, what are you telling your team around um, discovery, but like also providing value at the same time? Because I think ultimately, you know whether someone's going to buy when you have a discovery call. Um, it's just whether you're going to uncover the pain or not to be able to connect the sell. It's a great point. Uh, and I think you're spot on. Like today's buyer is so educated. You can go and Google anything and learn about not only your company, but the four other competitors. And so every conversation, the buyer comes in extremely educated on the tech, but also the market. And I think I'll be a little bit redundant and then I'll shift gears a little bit. But like, I do think it starts with being very educated before the call on yeah. this person's company, this person's title, and making sure that you're just not going in blind. You need to be prepared because if you're not prepared, this person might be able to just call you out because they're already so educated, they can beat you to it. So you need to be very prepared. Uh, I think the second thing is around that consulting approach, because they're so educated, they kind of know what they're looking for. And you need to be able to kind of understand what they're saying and hearing, and be able to adapt your talk track to that, as opposed to I think a lot of times salespeople have been trying to push features and use cases down people's throats based off of what they're used to selling. But now with everybody yeah. being so educated, you really need to take a step back and just listen and act like a partner and be very transparent around where you can't help, where you can't help, et cetera. And I think the biggest thing with that kind of approach is nothing speaks louder than social proof. Yeah. If you can talk about their competitors who are using your product and how you help them, or even just, if it's not in the same space and it's not a competitor, but somebody who has the same problem that they've come to you about, and you can in detail talk about not only what value you've provided them, but how you were able to do it. Social proof speaks a long ways. Everybody, yeah. If you are fortunate enough to be able to name drop the prospect's competitor is using you, you know, they'll have a little bit of FOMO and they want to get into the, get into the game as well. And so we're really... Yeah trying to coach people on, you know, being extremely prepared before calls because everybody else is extremely prepared. Um, being able to be very good at just actively listening, but also just going with the conversation organically, real true discovery instead of trying to push people down a path that they pre uh, could potentially like predisposition. And then third, being yeah. very good at social proof. And being able to be conversational and including our customer stories and wins throughout the discovery process. No, I mean, I think um, all of us need to do a better job at finding social proof, right? And I think that's so, so important for companies, especially right now, because, you know, if somebody acquires the wrong technology, it doesn't solve the problem that they ultimately have, you know. In this market, right, like it could be somebody's job, right? And so I think ultimately we as salespeople, we truly want to be consultative and make sure that we're selling you a tech that's going to be the right fit. 
the only way we can do that is being having really quality conversations and being prepared. And I'll tell you for everyone out there that this hasn't happened to, it probably has. Because I think <laughs> all of us in our career have at some point not done our pre-work, jumped on a call, been called out for it. The shit sucks. <laughs> so. Me. Um, <laughs> that's interesting in terms of like being educated and providing social proof. I think a lot of people like, Like I would probably estimate, I, I would guess fifty percent of salespeople don't follow up with their prospects. And Why like, do you think that is, though? I, I think people make pre. I think it's two things. Um, I think one is people, if they haven't done their preparation, if they haven't done proper discovery, likely accidentally disqualified themselves out of a conversation, and they're like, "No, there's no opportunity here." Um, so I'm just going to exit stage left. Or maybe their timeline doesn't align with what the AE's priorities are. And if it doesn't align, they're like, great, I'll just touch this person in six months and I'll get back to them then. And so I think yeah. those are two two things. I think there is also a layer of just hygiene and cleanliness. You know, my least successful quarter as a rep was when I was very reactive to my pipeline and not proactive to it. And I think we have a lot of reps who are very reactive to their pipeline as opposed to being very proactive with it. Cause I had a mind shift switch where if someone told me six months out, that's great. Future Alex is pumped right now because he has something early yeah. in his pipeline six months from now. And so I would always prioritize that follow-up to let them know that, Hey, I listened, I engaged. I wanted to learn about your business and your use case here's some data points, but that doesn't fall into like a sequence, right? That's like, if you have a new web yeah. coming and it reminds you of that prospect's use case, even if they're not ready to buy, just shoot them a note on LinkedIn. Hey, saw this webinar, thought of you, you might find it interesting. And that's it. And you yep. can just leave that And that continuous follow-up is just relationship building. And you're making a case for six months from now when they're ready your name's going to be the one that's at the top of their mind because you've continued to engage. But I, I, I would venture to assume a lot of people don't follow up. And it's a very simple shift to make. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I would also say maybe like it's a self-defeating thought, right? It's like, hey, this, this ain't a good fit, right? And maybe it's not a good fit right now. So why should I waste my time? On the flip side, right? Like, I agree with you, right? Like, build, continue to build the relationship. Don't let it go away. And even, you know, especially with the job market, right? Like you never never know where someone's going to be in six months to a year because that could change. Absolutely. That could definitely change. And if you... Yeah. I don't remember anything else from Jeff Gittimer's book that I read like 10 years ago, but I remember he had a line in it that was like, um, a sale makes a commission, a friend makes a fortune. It's just one of those things to your point. It's like a reminder. You don't know where someone's going to go. If you build that strong relationship, you know, they sure. go to a new company. You hopefully have the leg up. No, that's, that's a super good point. And, and, and in that, like, I'd love to hear, um, like what you found successful to help building those kind of relationships. Um, maybe not so much in a customer centric way, but in a business way, as you continue to like um, continue to grow in leadership, because I think that's super important. People don't realize like you're always managing up, right? And so yeah. 
you're trying to figure out how do you be valuable to to the people above you and network with those people, and that's not always the easiest thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'd love I'd love to hear that. No, I I think it's a great question, and it's something I think about a lot because I'm trying to understand what I can replicate and scale to continue to be successful in my career, and. I've heard a couple of people talk about it now, but it kind of helps conceptualize it for me. Um, there's a clip going around on LinkedIn of Obama talking about what makes people successful in the business world. And to surmise it, he was basically like people who just get it done. They don't just speak about the problem. They solve the problem. Yeah. And I think in my career, that's been what's helped me grow in leadership um, over the last few years, because and when I, my last selling role was at a, a smaller company and smaller companies just inherently have less resources, right? And it's not a knock on them. It was a great company. I really enjoyed working there. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time there, four and a half years there. Um, but what it taught me was the importance of just being gritty. And if you see a problem, everyone else is just as busy as you figure out a way to solve the problem. And so- yeah. When I think about my time here at Confluent, there's been a few instances where I've been in meetings with major stakeholders where we've been talking about different areas of opportunity and everyone's talking about how to solve it. And then a week later, I just sent them an email with something I put together and things like yeah. that. People remember that stuff and it goes a long way. So I'd encourage anybody who wants to get into leadership, who's maybe an IC right now really wrap your head around just being gritty and being the problem solver for your team. Um, the second thing you mentioned, like managing upwards, managing upwards is something as you go, of course, as you know, like you have to do a ton of, and you always have to be on top of those relationships. And it, it sounds simple, but it's really the key. It's just be overly communicative, get yeah. ahead of the problems identify problems ahead of time, show them the data, but show them what you're going to do about it. It's that yeah. simple. You know, we, we've had situations here where, you know, we've been trending behind linearity going into the middle of the quarter. You just kind of have to own it, get ahead of it with your key stakeholders and let them know this is the three things I'm going to do to solve it. And then when you have that layer of communication, you're not managing up as much as you're collaborating with a partner who maybe identifies gaps in your ideas and helps you grow and scale those ideas to be successful going forward. Um, try to just like really hone in on two things, just grit and over communication. I love that. I mean, I think, I think every, everybody can take a little bit more grit and extra communication. And if we just spent and we took that in any part of our lives, whether that was with our customers with our spouses, you know, with our family, yeah. right? Like it, it probably make the world just a bit, a little bit of a better place. Agree. Agree. And it's, yeah. Sales is such a game of controllables. That's something you can control. If your company doesn't give you a, a write-up, just go make your own write-up. Yeah. Simple as that. I love that, man. Um, and I think that goes right along with, you know, you, the, I think the best, and the most um, successful salespeople I've seen in my career are the ones that are most authentic and they get out after it, right? They don't ask for permission, but they do it in a way where they don't need to ask for forgiveness. 
Yes. And so um, keep that mentality out. Alex, man, this has been super fun. Where can people connect with you after this? Um, yeah, where, where can people connect with you, man? This is going to be simple because I don't have Twitter or anything else. I just have LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, just Alex Schofield, Confluent. Uh, I'm always open to networking, chatting with people, um, exposing people to my network. So feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Um, I sound super lame not having a Twitter, but yeah, that's it. I don't think you sound super lame. I just don't think um, X, as I was corrected the other day, and someone said it to me, and I was like, this doesn't sound right. But regardless, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have (laughs) something to say every single day like that, but... Maybe I do on LinkedIn. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, Alex, man, we appreciate you jumping on. Alex, it's, it's been fun. And, man, this is another episode of How the Grades Do It.